Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Our text tonight is Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. You know, as you read through this particular book, and you're looking at all the subjects that Solomon is addressing throughout the entirety of this, you would think that he is writing directly to everything in our present age. Maybe not realizing as you work your way through this that he's writing almost 3,000 years ago. But the things that he writes about are things that man continually seeks after, that man continually wants. And his words ring true when he says that there is nothing new under the sun. Because the very things that you look at here are the very things that man desires now. It's the same things. Man does the, the same things over and over again continually seeking out what he thinks will bring fulfillment, satisfaction, gratification. This is exactly what natural natural man seeks after and will never find. As we had went over last Wednesday, one of the things that Solomon had said back in chapter 1, verse 13, is that he says, And I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven, It is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. It is a grievous task, he says, that which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. The seeking after, the the, the need to be fulfilled, always seeking what he thinks will ultimately bring him happiness and joy and never finding it. But that really helps us truly to to put things in proper perspective. As we have a man who is, again, the wisest in existence, second to the Lord Jesus, of course, who's writing 3,000 years ago about everything that we can see and understand today, the things that we ourselves deceive ourselves with, to think that if I just had this or I just had that, I would be happy and joyful. And Solomon says, you will not. We do deceive ourselves. What do you think in your own life would bring you true fulfillment or happiness? Is it having a great company of people continually around you, lavish get-togethers, constant friends, partying? A lot of people think that they find fulfillment there. An amazing home? With everything that you could ever want in it, all the beauty that you could ever decorate your home with, a lot of people seek after that. How about many servants to serve you at every moment of your life? Would that bring you fulfillment and happiness? I don't have to do anything. All I have to do is say it to someone And they can go and get it for me or do it for me. And I have no responsibilities whatsoever other than to enjoy it. All the wealth you could ever want. All the wealth that could never be spent in one lifetime. 
I think that, especially as well as the next thing, is what we truly deceive ourselves with, is wealth. If I only had it. If I had enough money to pay off everything, to live comfortably for the rest of my life. If I had it, oh, how I would be happy. How I, I would be so much more at ease, not having the stresses of life on me, if I only had that. Or all the worldly and fleshly carnal desires, carnal pleasures that you could ever want. These are things that natural man longs for. These are the things that the world treasures. These are the very things that deceive us. And here Solomon is, this is the very thing that Solomon is writing. This is what he's warning against. The man who had everything. And he says, it's all meaningless. But we're going to see what he says about it. And we're going to try to understand why it is that these particular things, as well as a whole host of other things that we can throw in here, that we can think come to our mind, why they do not fulfill. Why they will never fulfill us. If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. We'll read Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 to 11 of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative fallible word. Let us give our attention to the Holy Scripture. Chapter 2, verse 1. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself. And behold, it too was futility. I said of laughter, it is madness and of pleasure. What does it accomplish? I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine While my mind was guiding me wisely and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had home-born slaves. Also, I possessed flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. Also, I collected for myself silver and gold and all the treasures of kings and provinces. I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done, and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. Let's pray together. Holy Father, we give you thanks for this portion of your word. And we pray, Father, we, we ask that the Holy Spirit of God 
would guide our thoughts, guide our hearts, Father, and do a mighty work within us. We pray that as we hear your word read and hear your word preached, every time we get together that we never leave the same, but that we would be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit of God and being willing to be changed. Father, we pray indeed that you would do that change in us as we need you in order to change it for, for anything. Father, let us see where our true fulfillment and true pleasure is. Be glorified this day among your people in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's children said, amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> now, upon just reading over this, as we're seeing Solomon's personal testimony here, this is the personal testimony of the great king. He's, he's been searching for meaning. He's, he's told us a number of things there in chapter 1 that's striving after the wind. It's seeking to lay hold of something that is impossible to lay hold of when it comes to the things that are done under the sun, the things that are done under heaven. He's going to give his personal testimony now of the things that were in his own life that he sought after, that he took pleasure in at the time. What then did it produce? What was the end result? Because these are the very things, again, that whether it's one, whether it's all of them, at some point in our life that we think to ourselves, if I had these things, if I could have what Solomon did, I would be the happiest person in the world. If I had this particular thing that Solomon had or that particular thing. And we deceive ourselves into thinking that if I had something of which he had wealth, maybe it was wealth, whether it was the constant uh, friends that were there, people to wait on us, whatever it is, if I had it, I would be happy. And the very reality of life is that, no, you will not be happy. You will not be fulfilled. You will not be gratified. Anything that we can point to on this earth is all temporary. It has no lasting value. It has no lasting value for you during your short time here on this earth. This first portion of the things that he speaks of is really some of the, <clears throat> that, that saying that we understand from Scripture, to eat, drink, and be merry. He doesn't add that for the tomorrow we die. But that's what he's going after, to eat, drink, and be merry. And these are the things that he is going after. These are the things that he begins to speak of in his personal testimony. He says to himself, come now, I will test you with pleasure. The idea of pleasure is, is gratification, amusement, a source of joy, delight, glee, gladness. I will test you with pleasure. So enjoy yourself. And behold, he says. This is, this is making that stark contrast here. He says to himself, seek after pleasures, be happy, be merry, indulge in it all. And he says, but behold, it too was futility. It was meaningless. It was vanity. So what are the things that he's getting ready to tell us? The first thing he actually speaks of there is laughter. I said of laughter. 
It is madness. And a pleasure, what does it accomplish? Laughter. Now, laughter is not necessarily a bad thing. It's good to laugh. Makes a merry heart glad, all of that that we read. It's good to laugh. I like laughing. I'd say you like laughing too. Like watching a good comedy movie or something along that line or speaking to each other about uh, funny things that have happened in our life. We like to laugh. We like to, to have that kind of an amusement. But is there value in it? In a sense there is, yes. But is there value in what he's speaking of? Can laughter or comedy... Be the solution to life's problems. You just need to laugh a little. Throughout all the difficult problems that we have in life, laughter brings just a little bit of ease to us. But is it enough? You know, Alistair Begg, he had made the statement that comedy is fleeting and does not deal with the weighty matters of life. We can be entertained and laugh and, and have those moments of, of that enjoyment. But it doesn't deal with the weighty matters of life. It doesn't take away life's problems. It only masks it perhaps for a few moments or for the time that we're engaged in conversation or if we're watching a funny movie or whatever. But it's so interesting to know that some of the most funny people are some of the most miserable people. You think, of, you think of men like Robin Williams, for example. Man, he can make you laugh. Some of his movies, classic movies, they're funny, they're entertaining. But it was not enough for his own self to deal with life's problems. You take a man like Jim Carrey, who constantly battles depression in his own life. How is that? People who can be so funny, so entertaining. Every time they get before a crowd, they just, they can wow the crowd, they can entertain, they can make people laugh, make people have a good time hearing them speak and make jokes or whatever. And yet it's not enough. Alistair Begg had told of a, a story that I, I think he said Billy Graham had told. <clears throat> there was a psychiatrist who was trying to treat this particular man who was just battling depression very severely. And no matter what the psychiatrist had done, he was trying to do anything that he could in order to get this man out of this slump. But nothing was working. And so finally, one of the last things that he had said to this man was, hey, I know things are not quite going well, but uh, there's a comedy club down the street. Why don't you go there, listen to the comedian, have a few laughs, just spend a couple hours there just in, in, in enjoyment, laughing, having a good time. And he said that the man appreciated you know, the suggestion and he got up to leave and he turned around and he said to the psychiatrist, I'm actually the comedian. 
Now, whether that's true or not, whether that's a story that was made up maybe for an illustration or whatever, what the story is conveying is true. And again, you take men like Robin Williams, Jim Carrey, some of these others. Laughter, comedy, that kind of entertainment can only mask life's problems for those few moments, but does not deal with the weighty matters of life. And so Solomon says, I said of laughter, it is madness and a pleasure. What does, it, what does it accomplish? And as Alistair Begg said, that Solomon then moves from the comedy club down to the pub. He says, I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine. While my mind was guiding me wisely, and how to take hold of folly till I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under heaven the few years of their lives. So the idea here by theologians is he's not just talking about just having wine. He's talking about lavish parties that have wine, intoxication, all of that. That's the idea. This isn't just a small little barbecue of getting together with some friends. This is Again, this is a lavish party. This is probably thousands of people that would come to Solomon's palace and enjoy themselves and drink. Continually drinking. Drunkenness is the idea here. We're not talking about whether or not having wine is a sin or it's not having a sin. That's not what's in view here. It's what is happening that Solomon is speaking of here. The lavish parties, the intoxication, the drunkenness. And all these things do, and the moments that you're indulging in them is only, again, masking the problems of life. It doesn't deal with it. Maybe it makes you numb for the time. But the question is, is can all of these things, even the lavish parties, having all the company that you want, all the friends to surround you and tell you how great that you are, etc., etc., can all of these things help to cope with life's problems, or does it leave you more empty? Does it rid yourself of all life's stress? And the implication of what he's saying here is, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Eat, drink, and be merry. It doesn't satisfy. You know, that's the thing, especially with young people. I remember being in high school... And I couldn't tell you the number of people constantly saying, especially on Friday, man, we're going we're gonna to have a big party tomorrow. Saturday night, we're going to go party. It's going to be great. And of course, you come in on Monday, and you hear about the great party. You hear about how intoxicated that they got, and all this sort of thing. And you think, well, uh, that was fun. Placing your head in the toilet was fun. Okay. But that's, I mean, that was so common for me to hear. And I'm sure within your own lives, hearing people talking about things like that and bragging about that and how wonderful and awesome that it is. And, and you really have to step back and ask yourself, is it really? Is it really that fun? It may be fun in the moments. There's pleasure in the moments. Afterward, guess what? It's all gone. And the reality of life is there. And depending on how much that you had the night before, depends on how well you're going to wake up. 
It doesn't bring happiness. It doesn't bring fulfillment. It doesn't bring satisfaction. But he goes on. These things didn't do it. So as he is testing himself with pleasure and to enjoy himself, he says, I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. I planted vineyards. And if you go to 1 Kings chapter 7 and you're, you're, you're having this description of his palace and it took 13 years to build this palace. This isn't just a small home. It took 13 years. And then you get all the details of all the halls with the pillars and, and, and all the, the wood carving, everything. In First Kings chapter 7. He enlarged his works. He built houses for himself. He planted vineyards. He made gardens and parks. He planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. You almost have here, as one, as one man had said, you have a man-made Eden that Solomon has created for himself. Anything that he could want. All the beauty that he ever desired to see. It's like when we go outside, we look at the mountain ranges, or if we're at the beach, we look at the sand and we look at the ocean, and we all have our particular things that we like to see, and we, we look and how beautiful it is and, and all of this. Well, Solomon has it in his, in his backyard. He planted gardens. He planted, he planted a forest, as he says. He, plant, he has ponds. He has everything that is, that is appealing to the eye. He has his houses. He has it all. He makes gardens. He makes parks. He, he made, he, he, he's made ponds of water from which to irrigate a forest growing, of growing trees. And again, everything that he is listing, what is he moving towards? What is the end result of everything that he's getting ready to tell us? It's futility. It's vanity. It's meaningless. And yet that's the very things that, that, that even intrigue us. As we're reading over it, I wonder how big his palace was. We, see, this is, this is some of the problem that we have, is that we read over texts like this, we know exactly what he's getting ready to say. He's going to say it's meaningless and it's vanity, but then our minds go and they say, wow, I wonder how big the house was. I wonder what kinds of things he had in the house. I wonder what kinds of what plants and everything that he had, that he had planted in his, in his garden and in his forest and in the pond. Was there fish in the pond? I wonder what kind of fish he had. Do our minds go to things like that because we think... They would bring pleasure. They would bring happiness and joy. You have a man-made Eden in, the, in your backyard. I have no need to go and see some of these other places throughout the United States that people say are so beautiful. No. If I had it in my backyard, I wouldn't need to go anywhere. If I had the big house... <clears throat> I think some of the appeal, too, with the listing of things there is, is the house. With houses, we know that he had a palace. And we say to ourselves, well, I really wouldn't want necessarily a palace, but if I had a really nice big house, if I had that. And, you know, a lot of times when we think 
when we think of things like that, perhaps, is I would rather have, I really would like to have a big house that way. My friends or people that I knew previously, when they get to know me, they know where I'm at in life because I got a big house. Everything that I've worked for, I got the big house that I'm never going to pay off. That's how it usually goes. You know, interestingly, being within the construction business, when you go to give someone a roofing estimate who has a really big, nice house, they're the very ones that want to talk you down over the price that you give them. Why? Now, some just like to wheel and deal, but others probably because it's very difficult to afford the cost of the roof because they're paying for the house. You know what that big house just added? A lot more stress. And that is just not appealing to me. Perhaps it's not appealing to you either because you think if I had a big house, then I got to clean it. Unless I had the very next thing that he speaks of, all these servants or whatever, then I don't want to clean that. Everything that you can think of that would bring you pleasure, there's always more to seek after. Or there's always a catch. Solomon had the big houses, didn't bring him satisfaction, fulfillment. It's just a temporary dwelling. That's all it is. Even the most lavish houses that you see in Hollywood and places like that with all these big-name stars. I mean, they, they stay in these things for however long, and then they sell them, and they move to something else. Why? Because it was apparently unfulfilling to them. They need something else. This house didn't do it. This mansion didn't do it. Maybe that one over there will do it. And it's deceiving. He didn't just have all of these things as far as houses and a man-made, a man-made Eden and all of this. He had people to wait on him, hand and foot. He says, I bought male and female slaves, and I had home-born slaves. Now, again, Solomon has everyone in his disposal. He's the king. Anything that he needs, somebody will get. It could be something as simple as, I would like to have a glass of water. Maybe he had a bell. Somebody would come and say, what can I do for you, king? I'd really like to have some water. Maybe I'd like to have some wine. I would maybe want something to eat. Whatever. And people would do it. And get him everything that he ever wanted. He had slaves, servants, for anything. Not just to wait on him with, in that kind of a way, but with, with any other reason that he would have to... To order them around. The point is, is that he could order them around to do whatever he wanted. Regardless of what tasks that they were performing, they would do it. Because they were his. His slaves. Now some theologians <clears throat> differ as to what perhaps is meant by him saying that he bought male and female slaves and I had homeborn slaves. 
whether that means that that was also part of his pleasure, being able to take perhaps some of the female servants, female slaves. Some would think that perhaps that's what, what is meant there. And others would just take it as he had so many, he had slaves that were born in his house. There was a constant multiplication here of getting more and more slaves in order to serve him. He had all, <clears throat> he had all the, the flocks and the herds that were larger than anyone that preceded him in Jerusalem. You go again to uh, 1 Kings, and you begin reading of all the things that he has. I think it said he had 40,000 stalls for his horses. He had 12,000 horsemen, and on and on and on you go. He had everything. And it's, just, it's, it's more language to give us the idea that he had it all. All the riches, all the wealth, he had it. He lacked for nothing that he wanted. He collected all the silver and the gold and the treasures of kings in the provinces. He didn't have to stress of being able to pay a bill or to pay off someone in another country for things that he's buying. He had all the wealth that he needed for anything that he set his mind on, anything that he set his eyes on, he could get. He didn't refuse his eyes anything, as he says in verse 10 in light of all the things that he is listing for us now. All the silver, all the gold, the treasure of kings. And again, as we were talking about at the beginning, this is, this is one of the, the, the big things that we look at and we, we think to ourselves, if I could have so much money to pay off everything that I have and live comfortably, I could, I could, I could be in a better place as far as being happier in my life. There's just so many stresses on me right now that if I could only have some relief, things would be better. I would be doing better. And again, it is deceiving. We think that something temporary is going to bring us gratification Satisfaction, fulfillment, money. We had it. I wouldn't be living paycheck to paycheck. I could help out all those that I love, and it just kills me. Not only am I struggling, but I see others struggling over here whom I love. If Man, if I just had so much money, I would, I would do this for them, and I would make sure that, that my own life was less stressful. And that's the way we think. We deceive ourselves. Because it is. It's deceiving. It leaves you more empty. There's never any satisfaction here. Because the more money that you have, the more you want. There's never a time that you can say, I'm good. I have everything I need. I have everything I want. No, because as soon as your eyes lay hold of something else, I really want that. I think I'll get that too. And then later on, when you see something else, I think I'll have that. Why? Because you're never satisfied with what you have. Those are the battles that indeed we have to endure, whether we have a lot of money or we don't have a lot of money. 
it's something that is constant, something that we, that we deal with. We always want more. And there's a reason behind that. And we'll see that here in a bit. But Solomon had no want for money. <clears throat> all the slaves that he wanted. All the singers. He had, he had provided for himself male and female singers. That are right there at his beck and call. Now, obviously, Solomon didn't have a radio. When we're home and we, we like the enjoyment of music, we're at home, we like to, to put something on, some of our favorite music, and it brings us some pleasure, brings us some, some joy in that time. We really, we really like music. And Solomon did too. Obviously, not having a radio, he had his own personal choir, his personal band that was there at any moment that he wanted them. Come sing me a song. Come play. Whatever. At any moment. And then he says, And the pleasures of men, many concubines. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, notice what he says, though. He doesn't say anything about his wives here. He doesn't say, I had 700 wives and many concubines. No, no, no. He's only focused on the concubines. Now, that particular word is a very interesting word. What does it mean? Concubines. <clears throat> Not at all to be crude or anything like that, but what the word means is abundant breasts. And some translate it that way. However you translate it, whether you say that or you, you say concubines, it is a crude word that is a reference to women who are used for carnal pleasure. That's what's in view. That was one theologian's um, definition there. Anything that he wanted carnally, he had. Not only 300 concubines, but 700 wives that he doesn't mention here. But he did have 700 wives. As one man had put it, that Solomon was anti-Genesis. Whereas Genesis speaks of the, give, giving us a reference point for what marriage is when it talks about, So shall a man leave his father and mother and cling unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Instead, Solomon accumulated many wives and many concubines. So this particular man says that he was anti-Genesis and anti-Jesus. Because as Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, in the beginning it wasn't so. And he gives that definition of marriage, quoting from Genesis. So shall a man leave his father and mother, clinging to his wife. Carnal pleasure doesn't bring fulfillment. It doesn't bring satisfaction. It doesn't bring gratification. <clears throat> We think it does. We think it might. But it doesn't. Again, it leaves you empty. There is a, I don't want to, I'll say an organization because it's not really a ministry per se, but it is an organization 
And it goes by the name of Fight the New Drug. And there are a number of different um, videos and that sort of thing on YouTube that you can watch. It's called Fight the New Drug. And the new drug that it is in reference to is not something that you take as far as any kind of a pills and, or marijuana or anything like that. It's talking about pornography. And this organization is geared solely to help people get away from pornography. And it's called Fight the New Drug. And I could not tell you the number of, of people that, that are interviewed, some former performers in that industry, big-name performers, and the countless ones that would talk about how they had to use drugs just to mask all the pain that they were going through. One man had talked about some of the people that he knew in that industry that were his friends, and I'm telling you, I'm not exaggerating at all. You can go and watch the video. There was maybe 20 to 30 that he had mentioned that he knew of that were in that with him that had committed suicide. 20 to 30. As well as some of the other testimonies that are given there are just heartbreaking. But we think that on the outside, that things like that bring satisfaction, gratification. People live for that. You have many that, that I know personally that I have known in my life that that's all, they ever, that's all they ever desired. That's all they ever went after. But what does it do? Nothing. Does it satisfy? No. Because there's a continual want and a continual desire and a continual need to seek after it all the more. It never stops. It just continues to go, continuing to spiral down. As some of these uh, performers, former performers, had, had spoken in these videos, again, of how much pain that they were going through, how much shame that they were enduring, emptiness that they were experiencing because they didn't know how to love anymore. They didn't have any reference point for what love was. They wanted to be loved, but they didn't know how. This is all they knew. And so they were left more empty. All the wisdom that he wanted. He says, Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. And we talked about his wisdom. He's already went over that. But he adds this in here, That all my eyes desired. I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. Anything. He was truly a hedonist. He withheld himself from nothing that he wanted. Anything that he wanted to do. And this went on for years. This isn't just a small period when you're reading of the life of Solomon and you're seeing how he was led into idolatry and all of this by the number of wives that he had. This is a, this is a long period of time in which he indulged in these. My heart was pleased because of all my labor and this was my reward for all my labor. There was pleasure in it in those moments. Thus I considered, here's, here's his conclusion. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, it was all vanity. All was vanity and striving after the wind. 
and there was no prophet under the sun. It was all vanity. It was all futility. It was all meaningless. There was no value in it. There was no pleasure, true pleasure in it. There was no satisfaction. There was no fulfillment. There was no gratification. There was no real joy in none of these things. And yet these are the things that the world treasures. These are the things that will leave us more empty. That's why we, we, we try to guard ourselves. We try to guard others. We try to guard young people from falling into these traps because these things are not going to bring you the happiness that you think that it will. It will only leave you more empty and shamed and ashamed. His conclusion is that after having everything that he could ever want, it's striving after the wind because you keep seeking more of it, but you can't lay hold of something. The wind, it's impossible. There's no profit under the sun. Well, that's easy to say. You know, Solomon's writing 3,000 years ago. Maybe things have changed. No, they haven't. Things have not changed. These are the very things that carnal man seeks after even today, and they don't bring any fulfillment. And that's why some of the people that we would think have it all can be some of the most miserable. Here's just a few, a few names that will be familiar to us. Mention Robin Williams, Marilyn Monroe, Chris Cornell. I really like Chris Cornell. He was the lead singer of Soundgarden as probably one of the best male voices I've ever heard. Committed suicide. Chester Bennington, one of the singers of Lincoln Park. Committed suicide. Kurt Cobain. The writer Ernest Hemingway. You take, and there's more, but you take a number of different people from from whether it's, it's in acting, whether it's in music, whether it's in writing, you think that they have it all. And it's very evident that they don't. Because everything that they've accumulated for themselves does not mask the reality of life's problems and the situations that we go through in life. It doesn't mask that need that we have for desire, uh, that desire for fulfillment and pleasure and gratification and satisfaction. There's nothing there. Why doesn't it fulfill? Well, you take the things that Solomon is referring to here, and they're all self-serving. Every bit of it. All it is is selfishness. It's all self-centeredness. It's all focused on him. It doesn't fulfill because you're only looking for yourself. You're only looking to yourself. It doesn't fulfill because when you begin looking at yourself and only trying to pleasure yourself, then you're committing idolatry. The very thing that you seek after is only found in the Lord. I think it was Augustine who had talked about how man has a God-shaped hole in his heart. There is truth to that. Because he's the only thing that truly fulfills and truly gives joy in this life. 
And we deceive ourselves into thinking that these things are going to be gratifying to us because even for believers, this is, this is a problem. We're not just talking about unbelievers. We're talking about believers who are deceived by these things that think if I had these, then I would be much happier. And the reason why we think that is because we are not satisfied in him. That's the problem. Even for us, we're not satisfied. We're not satisfied in the Lord. Why, did, why is that? Well, it could be a number of different things. We think to ourselves, well, these things here bring me this kind of a pleasure, and there's no way that I can be fulfilled and gratified by giving myself over to the Lord. Because we think to ourselves, these things are, are things that I can indulge in. Yes, they are sinful, but I know they're going to be making me happy for a little bit. If I go over there, then I'll be too much of a goody two-shoes, and I will just be miserable. Because we think to ourselves, and we fall into that deception of thinking that God is a cosmic killjoy. Surely I cannot be happy, and I cannot be satisfied, I cannot be joyful in my life by being obedient to a holy God. That is great deception. Because that statement is, is, is true. Yes, you can be satisfied serving a holy God. It is God himself. When you begin to, to learn and to grow in your understanding of what, who God is. And the fact that he has anything to do with us. And then the things that he lavishes upon us freely in Christ. That is joy. These things here will bring you temporary pleasure, but then after it's over, guess what? You have to deal again with reality. You have to deal again with who you are. But when we are serving the true and the living God, and we understand as best as we can, it'll be a never-ending process, of course. We'll never exhaust the knowledge of God. Even in heaven, by the way, you will never exhaust the true knowledge of God. But we have the pleasure of taking all eternity to try. But if you think about who God is, he is the one who speaks creation into existence. He is the one who upholds it by the word of his power. He is the almighty, holy God, the one who is set apart, who in him has no sin, has no dark side in him. There's no shadow of turning in him. He is altogether good. And this God sent his son the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect one, the holy one of Israel, in order to live for us because we can't do it, in order to die and be, be the satisfaction, the propitiation of our sins, because we can't endure the justice of God and satisfy it. That's why when you think of the damned, they're, they're damned for eternity because there's never going to come a point in which they will satisfy the justice of God for all their sin and for everything that they've done against him. But then you have Christ who satisfies the justice of his Father in place of those who believe. In place of those that the Father has given to him, his bride. And then you, you, you think of, of, of what he, the, 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 the immense pain that he endured, the, the suffering that he endured. We're not talking about the nails in the hands and in the feet and the crown of thorns. That was done by man. We're talking about a holy God pouring out his wrath upon his only son. 
Why? To redeem those that the Father had given to him. And then you have the Holy Spirit of God who then comes to collect. He is sent in order to bring the bride to faith and to apply the benefits of Christ's death upon them to bring us to him, to unite us to him. The fact that a holy God has anything to do with us as vile and sinful as we know that we can be is itself something just so extraordinary. Why? Why does he do that? Because out of his great love, he chooses to do that. And when you begin to understand who you are in light of who he is and what he has done for you, then it can't help but just move your heart to say, I want more of you. Because that's where my true joy is. Thinking about who you are in the, in the pleasure and the satisfaction that I have of knowing you. That's, that's eternal. Any of these other things are only temporary. And they don't last. That's why, that's why Solomon is saying it's, it's all vanity. Any of the things that the world offers you is only vanity and it's futility, but the very things that God offers us in Christ is eternal. He has lavished upon you the riches of His grace. He has lavished His love upon you so that in Him you may have true joy. In Him you may have peace. In Him you may have hope. In Him you may have it all. Because He has withheld nothing from you. He who did not spare His own Son but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? And when you read Ephesians chapter 1 and you see all that He has given us in Christ, there's nothing withheld from you. So that everything in your life, though it seems from a human standpoint or from a worldly standpoint, yeah, you really don't have much. No, we have the greatest treasure of all, which is Christ himself. We have the very thing that they seek after that they will never have because they reject him. And then that, dear friends, that is, that is where your joy lies. That's where your satisfaction and your fulfillment, everything that you're desiring, that's where it is. It's in him. And therefore, we stop seeking after the things we know will not fulfill us. Do not fall into that trap. Because it will leave you empty. It will not, it will not bring meaning or value. It will leave you empty. Because it's vanity. Skipping ahead there. When Solomon says this in chapter 12, he says, The conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. This is what life amounts to. This is what it's all about. Fear God and keep his commandments. Is he saying to you to fear him in the sense of being so afraid that you want to run and hide from him? No, the Puritans had addressed that particular, that particular idea and they differentiate between godly fear and sinful fear. 
We don't fear God in that kind of a way because of Christ. Because Christ has paid our penalty. Christ has imputed his righteousness to us. We are brought into the fold of God. We are brought before a holy God and we are declared not guilty and we're adopted by him. And so he treats us as his sons and his daughters. We reverence him. We fear him in that kind of a way. Understanding the magnitude of who he is. That he can do anything that he wants at any moment. And there is somewhat of a fear there. As Tim Challies had talked about. Tim Challies had lost his son last year or the year before. His son was 21 years old. And he died. I can't remember if it was a heart problem or whatever it was. But he died. And in that moment... That was something that Tim Chalice had to wrestle with, was understanding and having that kind of a fear, knowing that though God is good, God is holy, God is our Father, yet whatever He purposes to do according to His will, He will do. And in some point, and in some respects, there is a fear there because we, we hope that part of His will isn't to take our loved ones, but if it's His will to do so, that will bring Him the most glory. That's what He's going to do. So there is some fear there, understanding that he can do whatever he wants. But there is also that, that sense of awe that we are drawn to him even more so. Because we have that great privilege of being called and loved by him through the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it was John Piper who said, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. Dear friends, be satisfied in Him. Not in what you have or what you don't have. These things are temporary. These things will fade. These things are going to be gone. But the very thing that lasts are the eternal things of God. This is what you seek after. This is where your pleasure is. Let it be in the Lord Himself. So seek after Him. Seek to learn more of Him. Understand His character more. Because the more you come to understand His character, the more you're drawn to Him. And the more that you have that sense of adoration for who He is, the more that you learn. There is true joy there. And let us pray that the Lord would help us to carry out these things. Because we can't do it in our own power. We must pray and ask the Lord to help us. To give us the desires that He would have us to have. Which are His desires. It cannot be done apart from him. So let us pray that God will help us and help us to suppress those worldly temptations that will ultimately deceive us. Your true joy and pleasure is found in him. Let's stand if you would and we will be dismissed in prayer. Holy Father, again we thank you for our time together and we thank you for your word. Thank you, Father. That these are not just, uh, just empty ideas. That these are, these are truths from your word. Truly, we can be satisfied in you. You fulfill everything in us. Oh, Father, help us to understand that better. Help, help us to understand that to a greater degree. That we, that we truly seek after you. And we truly seek to find our joy and peace and fulfillment in you. For we know that only you can fulfill and satisfy. 
Father, by the Spirit of God, we pray that He would do that, that great work in us, giving us the desires, changing our hearts, conforming us even more so to be like our Lord Jesus. Father, forgive us where we have failed you. Forgive us for treasuring other things more than treasuring our relationship with you. We are truly weak, but we thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Thank you that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Thank you that in him our sins are forever forgiven. Thank you for the new life that you've produced in us by the Spirit of God and how we pray that we would grow even more in that new life. To you be the praise, the glory, and the honor in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's children said, Amen. Thank you for your attention and you are dismissed.